five pages. Usually it's a page and a half. Sharon's shaking her head. She's out of here already. So we're done. That's it. it. Interestingly, though, I will tell you, the longer the notes, the shorter the message. Usually, that's the way it goes. Because if it's a shorter notes, then I just start talking, right? And who knows where that's going to stop. But if you have longer notes. But here's the thing. Here's the point. Here's the reason I told you that. Usually, my notes are nearly that long. And today, we're simply introducing what the church is. Simply introducing what the church is. And all of these intricate things and all of this stuff and these lessons and all these, these things that go along with it throughout Scripture. You see, there are parts of the church that are quite simple. Quite simple to understand. Quite simple to do. Quite simple to live out in our lives. But there are other parts of the church, when we really get into it, that are vast and they're complex and they're things that, that Paul calls a mystery. It's incredible stuff that we read and know about the church. And so this is actually, this just introduction is broken up into three sections. We're just going to go through one section today, not all five pages. Don't worry about that, all right? Uh, We're just going to go through one section today. But it just gives you an idea that there are some things that we think we know, and we are all right. But then it can get a lot bigger and a lot grander than what we think we see or think that we know at first glance. Today, when we look at the church, I was helping, uh, I was helping my dad move some dirt last week, and he, he wanted some dirt from our house, and so I pulled the trailer out there, little trailer, it's a good, nice little trailer, pulled the trailer out there, and I started piling dirt on it, loading dirt on it, and I thought I could put more dirt on the trailer than the actual trailer weighed. I mean, I thought I could just, you know, and I'm, I'm just mounting this thing up, he needed like two scoops. I didn't know that. He didn't tell me that. And so I'm mounting this stuff up, and I hook it onto the truck. I make it down to the end of the driveway, and the whole thing's on fire. I mean, the tires and everything are just smoking, falling off of this thing. I don't know how much weight is on this trailer. And so I get to the end of the driveway, and I turn around in this pile of smoke, and I make my way back down the driveway. As I'm coming back down the driveway, smoke's billowing everywhere. Sam's standing out in the, in, the, in the yard there in front of the house. He says, hey, Dad. I said, what? He says, you're on fire. I said, I know, son. He says, is the trailer broke? I said, well, it wasn't a few minutes ago. It is now. The trailer's broke now. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to use that trailer again. Who knows? But Well, here's the problem, though. The trailer didn't start out broken. The trailer was perfectly fine. There wasn't anything wrong with it. But I was using it in a way it wasn't designed. I thought it was supposed to work a certain way. And it wasn't designed to work that way. And so I look at it, or at least think, that it's broken now. Church, the, 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 the church around the world, isn't broken. Okay, it's not broken. Sometimes, look, it's real tempting to think that there is something wrong with the church. Sometimes it's tempting to badmouth the church. Sometimes it's tempting to think that we've messed something up so bad that the church is completely broken. It doesn't, it doesn't resemble at all the way it was shown and designed and built in the New Testament. We think that sometimes the church is broken. Church, it's not broken. The problem is, 
the church does not work and it is not designed to work the way we think it ought to work. That's our problem. Jesus isn't designed to work the way we think he ought to. The church isn't designed to work the way we think it ought to work. As we write in our own plan for the church. It wasn't built that way. It's not designed that way. And if we try to use it that way, it is going to begin to seem like or feel like something's broken. The church isn't broken. We've just got to use it correctly. The church isn't broken. We've just got to do it correctly. We've got to work through it with its, in, its original design. See, that's, that's, that's what we do. There's an original design built, made, meant to work a certain way. And you and I, too often, we go and break it. Ask Adam and Eve, right? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We get to experience, know, we get to learn, we get to be challenged. Our eyes can be opened to what your church is, Father. We ask that you help us today. We ask today, Father, that you remind us. We ask today, Father, that maybe you instill a dash of humility in us as we are reminded as we're taught that we are the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be in quite a few um, passages today, quite a few texts today, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm also going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, but I'll be in a couple places today, and I'm actually going to start out in the revelation of Christ when we first get to our, our scriptures. On Sundays, this, this is a long series, all right? Well, I don't know how long it's going to be, but this is a series that's going to talk about, answer questions about the church, and hopefully we get a better picture of what the church is as we move forward. And if you've been in the church all of your life, number one, I would say this, be careful. Be careful. If you want to come up here and you want to sit here, you want to talk to me about all your life being in church, I'm sure you've got fruit to show, right? So be careful. Number two, if you've been in church all your life, we still need to be reminded. Trust me, based upon the conversations that I've had, and the lessons that I've gone through with people, we need to be reminded of what the church is. And finally, there might be some of us who simply just don't know what the church is. They want to know. Give me a whole picture, because right now I'm not getting the whole picture. Right now I'm getting a, a tarnished picture. Right now I'm getting a picture of the church that has the inventions of man put into it. And so I want to know what the church is. You might find yourself in one of those three positions. On Sundays we come here, we sing songs we uh, fellowship with one another. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We just got done doing that, our little bit of preaching there. We have Bible lessons, whether it's a Bible lesson in here or whether it's your children or whether you're in Sunday school, whatever it might be. And then we go home. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good description, I think, of a, of a typical Sunday morning service. Although we rarely have a typical Sunday morning service. We're always doing something. But, but that's a typical Sunday morning service. And there are many people, particularly in our culture, that would say, that's church. That's church. And while they would not be completely wrong, that picture of the church or church is very, very incomplete. In fact, it is so incomplete that 
when we say that, we do teeter on the edge of being wrong. There's simply a lot more to the church. And the church looks and has looked very different in the ways throughout time that different cultures have what you and I would say, do church, do church. See, I had a lot of finger quotes put in this message, but I'm holding a microphone, so I can't do that this Sunday, all right? Do church. And the same is true if you're sailing across the sea, sail across the ocean, journey from one side of the Atlantic to the other, and you come upon a piece of floating ice, and you say to yourself, there's an iceberg. Well, you would be correct, absolutely, that's true. But you know this, if you think the totality of that iceberg is what you easily see, you are far from a complete understanding. And frankly, that lack of understanding can be very dangerous. Without knowing the full extent of the iceberg under the surface, it is very possible to wreck the ship. Or rather, let's put it another way, it's very possible to really mess up the journey. To really mess up the journey. Not necessarily in the journey, but certainly make it more difficult, never fully understanding the size and complexity and the power, all these things below the surface. So over the next few weeks, we look at the typical questions about the church. Of course, we look at typical questions about pretty much anything you come across. What, who, where, how, when, and why. Why being the longest portion of this series. Today, we start with the what. What is the church? Hopefully, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll finish up with where, and then we'll go into the how, when, and why. Today we start with the what. What is the church? But already, we cannot answer the question, what is the church, without adding the who. What and who must go together when you're describing or defining the church? Because the what is a who. The what is, sounds like a Dr. Seuss book up here, doesn't it? The what is a who. But first, let's talk about what the church is not. There's two big things, and and, and some of these things you already know, you've thought about, you're probably already thinking about them already. Eventually, he's going to hit these things. So let's just do it right off the top. There's two things that we could say that the church is not. Number one is this. You've heard it before, and if you've not, you're learning for the first time. Number one, the church is not a place. The church is not a place. Whether it's a building like this, or whether it's a geographical location. Well, I, I live with this group of people, or I live in the Western Hemisphere, or Western culture, therefore I'm the church. That is nonsense. That's nonsense, okay? The church is not a place, whether it's a building or some other geographical location. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, I love this, this picture of the church. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Listen listen to that. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. You have brothers and sisters that you are going to live with forever that you haven't even met yet. That's fascinating to me. What you're going to see, what you're going to know, what you're going to learn. these, These incredible experiences that you're going to have. There are people you don't even know exist that you are going to live with eternally in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. The church is not a place, and it's certainly not a building here in Russellvania. You know, even as you go through the Old Testament Scriptures, or the New Testament Scriptures, you see that most of the time, 
people met in church, or the church met in people's houses. They never had a church building to begin with. In fact, I've, I've talked to a couple of churches, a friend of mine in Indiana, one in Texas, they don't even want a church building that they go to and worship in. They're bringing this back to these home churches. Uh, Glenn Shady is working on that in France as well. And that's the way the church was. Met in people's houses. We see this throughout the New Testament. Philemon chapter 1, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 16, Romans 16. All of these just examples. Colossians 4, many, many examples of churches meeting in people's homes. And that's where the church was. Now look. We are fortunate enough to have a church building, this building right here, where we meet and other people in the community meet on a regular basis. But the building is not the, the church itself. This building is a luxury. I'm going to say that again. This building is a luxury. I'm going to say that one more time. This building is a luxury. You have no right to this. You understand that, right? As the church, you have no right to this. I have no right to this. So if this is gone tomorrow, <laughs> I'm not going to tell God, ask God, yell at God, why did you take away my right? This is a gift. It's a luxury that we have, and we certainly use it. Even the first building designed just for a church meeting, that didn't even come around until about 250 years after Jesus. And that was a converted house. Okay, So, so all of this stuff, don't, don't get too hung up on the building itself. It's simply brick and mortar. Don't get too attached to it. To get too attached to it, let's say we lose this thing tomorrow and we say to ourselves, oh, woe is me, the church is destroyed. Well, that would be like having a, a, a house church or a home church or a Bible study in your home and, and you end up moving or, or you end up selling your house and then wringing your hands and saying, well, the church is just destroyed. No, it's not. No, it's not. It might change locations for its meeting. But it's not destroyed. In fact, there's many times it really becomes alive after those types of things. So it's certainly not a location. It's not a place, the church. Look, appreciate this stuff. Appreciate it. Take care of it. Respect it. But don't get too attached to a place, church. That's not the church. Second thing, the church is not. The church is not a weekly event. The church is not, or church, is not a weekly event. Now, we meet together on Sunday mornings, and we should meet together. It's right to meet together. It's good to meet together. In fact, it's commanded to meet together in Hebrews. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the series. So don't throw that out. But don't think for a second that the church is just a weekly event. It's simply a place and a time that we meet. Chosen by tradition, by the way. Chosen by tradition. That's why we meet on Sunday morning. Chosen by tradition. I'm not going to find a command to meet on Sunday morning. Chosen by tradition. And it's a good tradition. I like that that's a tradition. I mean, what better time for Christians to come together than the day that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, that's a great time for celebration. That's a great time for reminder. But it's established by tradition. And so we do that on Sunday mornings. We do that to build each other up, to fellowship with one another, to learn, to study, to pray with each other. We do all those things, but it's not just an event during the week. 
we read in Scripture that sure, a lot of the churches, church families and bodies came together during the first day of the week, but we also read throughout Scripture that they met often throughout the week and in different places. And of course, my favorite, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three or some are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I'm right there with you. That's the church. That's the church. So what is the church? Specifically, what is the church? And I printed this out for somebody last service, and I can print it out for you. For some reason, I didn't put it on the slides. I should have. Here's the church. You ready for this? I'll print it out for you if you want. You're all always clamoring for my notes. I know that. All right. Here's the church. All people, all people, all people past, all people future, all people around the world, all people who believe that Jesus of the Bible is the Christ, the Son of the one and only living God, and through trust have given Jesus their lives and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Tony Dom's the church. You're the church. You are totally the church, completely the church, and 100% the church. In fact, if you leave this place and walk down the road by yourself and stand in the park, guess what? The church is at the park. That's the church. Those who believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Now, that was very carefully chosen, those specific words. Matthew 6, 15 through 18, what about you? Jesus is talking to Peter. Actually, he's talking to all the disciples, asking them some questions, but Peter's the one that speaks up because that's what Peter does. Matthew 16, what about you, he says to his disciples. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Mashika, the Christos. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. That is a conviction of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. He says, you are Peter, little rock. Peter means little rock. Sorry. Little rock. You're, you're Peter. He says that upon this rock, Petra, large rock, this profession you just made, upon that rock I will build my church. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those who trust Jesus to give them their lives. That's not people who believe in the existence of Jesus. That's people who believe Jesus. Church is those really who have joined their lives to Jesus and become His bride. That's really the best definition. That's really the best definition of baptism, a marriage ceremony, a marriage ceremony, joining two lives together. You don't know where one stops and the other one begins, but you grow into that relationship, don't you? I've been married. I mean, I am married. I am currently married. Marital bliss for 10 years. All right, been married for 10 years. I have changed. She has changed. But never once have any of these changes been in the negative. They've all been positive. They've all been good for me. I don't know about good for her, but I know they've been good for me, all these changes. They've all been beneficial 
as I change in this union, as I change in this marriage. Now, some have been hard. Some have been extremely difficult. But they've all been for the better. And, and usually that hard stuff is the stuff worth doing, right? I mean, that's, that's the stuff that really makes this lasting impact. I'm married. I love being married. I don't want to not be married. But it's my second wedding. I'm first married to Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. You want to have the best picture of a church, picture a man and woman married. That's what it looks like. Ephesians 5, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says in verse 32, but I'm actually talking here about Christ and the church. Look what he says. For this reason, a man, Jesus, God the Son, will leave his father and be united in this flesh, on this earth, with his bride. And the two will become one. The best summary was and still is John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. This is a good summary. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We stop there too often. Please read more. Whenever you read that, please read 17 and 18. 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's the way we see Jesus sometimes, isn't it? Just, just the guy there to spoil the fun. I mean, that's, that's all he's there doing. God doesn't spoil the fun. Jesus doesn't spoil the fun. Jesus spoils a lot of stuff. Jesus spoils hopelessness. Jesus spoils hatred. Jesus spoils death. But he doesn't spoil fun. He's just there to be mean. He's somebody we got to appease. you got to read verse 17. God sent his son into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. Not to be mean, but to be nice. Not to be evil, but to be good. That's why Jesus is here. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why we want to get to know Jesus. He didn't send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. By the way, verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, guess what? You stand condemned already. Why? Because you already broke this thing. It was meant to work a certain way, operate a certain way, and we broke it. You stand condemned already if you don't accept this one who comes in to repair this life and repair this relationship. Now, that above definition of what the church is that I read earlier, again, that is chosen very carefully. Chosen very carefully. And and this is where it starts to get offensive. We're going to get real offensive by the time this whole thing's done. But we start to get into the offensive part right now. First of all, the church is not a person who believes in the existence of God and no more. Believes in the existence of some God that they can't define, and, and that's it. That's, that's not the church, all right? There's a word for that. There's a phrase for that. It's called deism. That's those who believe in some God, but they don't believe God. They certainly haven't given their life to Jesus the Christ. Jesus says, if you don't know me, you don't know the one who sent me. You, you can't know him without going through me, says Jesus. 
So it's not, the church is not someone who just believes in the existence of God. The church is not a person who believes in the existence of Christ, yet refuses to trust Him with their lives. This is this condescending good teacher mentality, or this good teacher title. Don't call Jesus a good teacher, okay? Please don't ever say that. Please just leave that out of your, your mind, okay? He's either God or He's one of the worst creatures to ever walk the earth. All right, that's it. He's either God in the flesh or He is a lion jerk that's led all of us astray. That's it. So leave out the condescending good teacher stuff. He is God or He's not. The church is not a person who believes in Jesus, but also believes in other gods or other paths to redemption or the fact that God is in all things and in all places for salvation. There's a word for that. That's called pantheism or a phrase for that. It's called pantheism. The church is not someone who simply goes to the church building on Sunday mornings and that's the extent of their faith. There's a phrase for that. It's called a waste of time. The church is... Those who have given their lives to Jesus as He defines Himself in the Word of God. Those who have given their lives to Jesus as He defines Himself. Not the way you define Jesus. Not the way I define Jesus. Because I'm going to mess up that definition. So you don't want to follow the Jesus that I, that I invent in my head. Alright? And I don't want to follow the Jesus that you might invent in your head. I want the Jesus described and laid out in Scripture, that character, that man, that God, that person, Jesus Christ. That's the church. We've already seen a good summary from Scripture. But the Bible also has a pretty concise description. Description of Jesus. And this is the Jesus you believe in if you're going to be the church. Colossians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. Colossians chapter 1. The Son, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You can't see, but God determined that Jesus was going to be flesh and blood. And you can see Him, or you could have seen Him if you'd lived during that time, and will see Him as He is, as you are then fully known and will fully know. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. What does firstborn mean? It doesn't mean that he was created. It means he's got all the authority. He's got the power. Firstborn. He runs the family. Okay? He runs the family. If you and I are the body of Christ, if you and I are the family of Christ, he runs the family because he's the firstborn over all creation. He receives everything that the Father uh, has for him. Verse 16, for in him, for in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus didn't show up later. He wasn't late to the party. It wasn't sometime in the middle of scripture. No, Jesus was there at the very beginning and he was there before that. Jesus created the beginning, right? God the Son created the beginning of all of it. And He was the agent that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were working through to design, create, raise up, build everything you see. Jesus is the one that put the stars in the heavens and gave them their names. The very Jesus that walked the earth. The very Jesus that was able to take a child, set him on his lap, and begin to teach about the kingdom of God. I love this guy. He's pretty incredible. That's the Jesus you give your life to. The one that created all that we see. And the things we don't see, verse 18, 
He is the head of the body, the church. If you're going to call yourself the church, guess what? You're not the boss. Get over it, right? You're not the boss. You're not the boss in this church. You're not the boss in your home. You're not the boss in your life. If you're going to call yourself the church, Jesus is the head of you. He's the head of this body. I've heard people teach and preach things that aren't even true. I've, 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 I've heard them water down stuff, and I think, geez, what happens if the boss walks by, man? You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be hurt, and I guarantee he's going to fire you. The boss is going to have a lot of problems with this. Yeah, but so-and-so wouldn't like it. I don't care if so-and-so doesn't like it. The boss says teach. The boss says preach. The boss says live. The boss says love. The boss says serve. That's what the boss says. Now, look, that's fine. If you don't want to have him as the boss, that's go. Find someplace else. Don't be a part of the church. It's a bad road. Leads to bad things. But if you're going to be a part of the church, you submit to the headship of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He raised, he was raised from the dead, showing what he's going to do for you and me so that everything he might have supremacy. Not only is he the boss, he's the king. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness, all of God dwell in Jesus the Christ, and through Jesus reconcile back to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God because you broke yourself, and I broke myself. We were created to operate and think and move and exist a certain way, and we broke that. We left God's house. We left his table, and we walked out. And the father says, well, we'll just see about that. We're going to mend this family one way or the other. And he calls in his oldest son. He says, I got a job for you, son. We're going to build this family. And we're going to bring it back around this table. Jesus says, don't worry, I've got this. I've got this. Now, that was the plan from the very beginning. It's not like it popped up later. That was the plan from the very beginning. God knew this was going to happen. And Jesus rebuilds this family and brings you and I back into the Father's house, around the Father's table. That's this reconciliation through who He is, through what He is. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now Jesus has reconciled you back through His physical body, through death to present you. Look at this. As holy and without blemish. Free from accusation. You are the church. This is another one of our major misunderstandings. If you've given yourself to Jesus, if you are the church, do you still think you have a blemish? Do you still think that there's something in your mind, something in your heart that God is going to reject and refuse you as a person? I got news for you. He doesn't like sin. He doesn't like the ugliness of the heart. He doesn't like any of that stuff. But he loves you. And if you're the church, do you think you're going to stand before him someday and be embarrassed? Hmm? You think you're going to stand before God the Father someday in front of that throne and he's going to start throwing out every bad and hard and horrible and embarrassing thing you ever did? If you accept who Jesus is, you are free from accusation. If you accept Jesus, it does not accuse you. It sets you off from accusation because of who Jesus is. 
Stop thinking that you're going to stand there and have every bad thing roll through as God's determining whether or not He likes you or not. Now that will happen to those who have rejected this reconciliation. To those who have rejected the perfection of Jesus. God's going to tell them, let me tell you why you needed a Savior. Here we go. You ready? He shows them. But see, if you've accepted the forgiveness of Christ, if you've accepted Jesus, if you want to be a part of the church, you want to know one of the reasons why all of this stuff is not then laid out in front of you? Because in your minds and in your hearts, it's already been laid out. And you turn around and look at it and you say, boy, something's got to give. I need a Savior. This is bad. You've already addressed it. And you continue to address it. And so you stand before the Father and the Father says, well, we've already covered that. Welcome home. Welcome home. You've been covering that already. You've been examining yourself already. You've seen the necessity of Jesus already. We've already covered that. Come on home. You are free from blemish. You are free from accusation because of Jesus. And don't, you, you know the truth, right? I don't have to go over this. You don't earn it, right? You don't earn it. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. It's a gift. You accept it. Again, Jesus is not a God you have to appease, He is the God that you accept. Why is this description and your dedication to it so important? Because there is and has been a grand misunderstanding of what the church is, what it means to be the church. Anything from my parents were Christians, therefore I am, or because I live in a particular culture in the world, I'm a Christian. I love that one. Or because I go to the building where Christians happen to meet, then I'm the church. I want to give my favorite. Because I am or try to be a good person, therefore I am a Christian and part of the church. By the way, you can't separate Christian and church. Okay, don't do that. All right? Followers of Jesus were called Christians. Christians are followers of Jesus. Don't separate the two. Christian and church. Church is followers of Christ. By the way, willing refusal to have anything to do with the rest of the church, all that is is disobedience. We covered that last week. God says, don't tell me you love me if you, if you don't love your brothers and sisters. He says, you're a liar. You're nothing more than a liar. Okay? So be a part of that body. The church, the real church, the real church truthfully professes this. Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I realize there's a comma up there. Put a period there. And I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But, who does live? Jesus lives in me, lives through me. Now, here's the weird thing. I know there's people sitting here that are a part of the church, the eternal church. And that you say, and you mean, and it is true, that you've been crucified and Jesus lives through you, lives in you. And I've also seen you make mistakes. You do things you're not supposed to do. Me make mistakes. 
I've seen me do things I'm not supposed to do. How is that possible? How is it even possible? If, if the church is dead to self, alive only in Christ, how is it possible that we make mistakes? I got one for you. Boy, I wish we could just leave it here, but I can't. It begs another question. How is it that we can disagree? I've disagreed with people before. They've disagreed with me. In fact, I've disagreed with people on really big things in our life, in our world, in our culture, and they've disagreed with me. I've disagreed with people on interpreting Scripture, and they've disagreed with me. And both parties have given their lives completely and wholly to Jesus Christ. Not only that, have incredible fruit to show from it. How is that possible? Are they still the church? Are you the church? And if you're the church, give your life completely over to Jesus. If they're the church, give your life completely over to Jesus. And there are some major, major moments in this world and in this life that we disagree on. How do we reconcile that? How can we say, how do we determine who the real church is and who it's not? This is a big subject. You're going to have to to be here next week for that one because we are out of time. Yeah, Wes, I thought you were going to be up here. I was stalling, giving a preview. Now, like I said, this introduction is broken in three parts. That's the first part. I encourage you guys to be here next week because the first thing we do is jump off with two people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and disagree. And you get to pick the thing they disagree on. In your own mind, you can pick the thing, and we'll go big, small, doesn't matter. You can pick it in your mind. Pick your mind, all right? You can pick it, and we'll see if they can both be the church, if the church can still be united in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you for the challenges you've given us. We thank you. Father, that you, you help open our eyes. You help remind us or, or maybe you inform us, Father, through your word. And I thank you for that. I thank you for this treasure that we get to apply to our lives, that we can read and we can have confidence in and we can use it to define us. Father, help us. Help us to see. Help us to know. Help us to learn. But more than all of that, Father, help us to actually apply this truth in our life as we are, as we are on our way. We're on our way back to your house back to your table. I can't wait, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly trust in Jesus name in Christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the Savior's
we shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless I'll stand before the Say.